0: Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. We're talking about manifesting Holy Spirit power or manifesting the power of God. And uh the key verse that one of the key verses that we were using was in Second or First Corinthians two, four and five when it says my teaching and preaching were not with words of human wisdom that persuades men, but with proof of the power that the Spirit gives. This is so that your faith would be in God's power and not human wisdom. Now, that's, that's the new century version. And I wanted to add, add to that this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 and if you're looking for a a good prayer to pray over your family this is it this this, this these two verses right here uh, they they go right together with Ephesians 3 they say they're talking about the same thing and and for quite a while i was praying these the Ephesians 3 and Colossians 1 over my family and i would literally put their name in this and say, God, for Kathy this morning, do this, do this, do this. And I started to see some pretty cool results from that. But Colossians nine says, for this reason also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing him being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of Christ, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. And if you read other translations, that that says uh, his glorious power that produces patience, longsuffering, and joy. And so that's... that's When we start talking about manifesting the power of God, We have to understand that, that, and just to go back and and to take just a very few minutes um, doing some review on this, power is simply a, a means of supplying energy. It's an ability to act or produce effect. Manifest means to make apparent to the sight or the understanding. The Greek word means to make visible what is hidden or unknown. It, it coincides with the word revelation. Revelation and, and manifestation are, are fairly close in the same area of definition. Um, so we just talked about that. We talked about how power, how we don't really have a good grasp of the power of God. How a lot of the church doesn't really have a good power on the... The enormity and the 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 magnitude of the power of God, and we have an even less understanding of how He wants to manifest that through us, and how the power of God, God wants to manifest Himself through us. And I, I read a quote that Smith Wigglesworth said. He said, "We're not supposed to just observe manifestations; we are to dispense manifestations." we talked real quick about how that um, manifestations for the sake of just having manifestations, that's not what they're for. They're for the church so that the church can see where God's going and where the church can see and we as God's people can see where, where leadership can see where God's going. And that's what the manifestations will do. They will show us the direction that God wants to go. Yeah, they're for the sinner, they're for the ungodly. But if you're praying for somebody to get healed, and you're not taking that opportunity to lead them to Christ, then you're not you're not accomplishing what the manifestation wants to accomplish. If you're praying and you're just out there praying for people to get healed, and you're not bringing with that the message of the gospel, then then the manifestation itself is not reaching its full potential. It's not. What good does it do to get somebody saved if they end up going to hell? Right? What good good does it do? It doesn't do any good at all. Honestly, to be really honest, you may make them feel a little better in their body. And so, um, we just talked about a few of those things and... and, uh, I don't want to take too long with that because I'm going to get into. Uh, today, I want to talk about how we. I want to talk about preparation. How do we prepare? How do we get prepared to have the power of God manifested through us? And I read this quote, and this, this quote is just awesome. It says the power of God has not in the least bit been diminished over the past 2,000 years. Our Lord still sits on his great throne, and his train still fills the temple. He still walks on the wings of the wind. He still rides on the backs of the mighty cherubim, and he is still the triumphant champion from Calvary. All hell still bends to his will, and sin and death have lost their hold on all who rest in the shadow of his presence. And the God who calmed the storms, raised up dead men to life, and multiplied fishes and loaves to feed thousands is the same God we have today. (laughs) That's good. And that's something that we really need to get a concept. If God hasn't changed one bit, his power has not diminished. And we talked about last week how God's not stationary. He doesn't do just one thing, or he doesn't move in just one way. But he's he's so vast and he's so varied in how he does things that we can't get our mindset on God going to do it this way, or God's going to do this, or God's going to work this way. Because God, he, it may be totally different. You go back and you read of of the great moves of God that have taken place, and a lot of them have had different emphasis. Now, if you go back into the 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 Second Great Awakening during the 1800s. The emphasis was on repentance. Uh, the Brownsville revival. The the, the, the the emphasis was on repentance. The Toronto, uh, the move of God in Toronto. It was more geared towards signs and wonders and and the manifestation of God's power. Same with the the, the revivals in the early, uh, the turn of the century in the 1900s. The the Welsh revival. The the uh, Azusa Street, the a great revival in India that were all taking place at the same time. It was, to, it was a, a release of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It was a, a renewing of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And remember what we said last week. You can't, God's not going to give us a new Pentecost. Not going to do it. He may replenish and he may renew what has already happened but God's not going to come back and do Pentecost all over again, just like he's not going to go to the cross again. For, Jesus isn't going to go to the cross again for our sins. God dispensed it. On the day of Pentecost, God dispensed his power. He revealed his power. He gave it to us. And so he doesn't come back again and do that again. He expects us to develop it. He expects to, for us to allow him to develop it in us. So that we we're moving in his power. We're manifesting his power. So, again, we're going to go back to the book of Acts. And we're going to just read real quick. Uh, first chapter of Acts. And we'll start reading at verse 4. Being assembled together with him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem... But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they came together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you will receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea. Samaria into the uttermost parts of the world. And so now I want to skip down to verse 12, and it says, And when they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, when they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, the the whole crew, Judas, sons of James, and all these, listen, now let's look at this verse. And all these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women Mary, and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brethren. But then, of course, if you go to Acts two one, it says what when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. Now, if you go over into Luke twenty four, it, it recounts Luke recounts again in, in his gospel this story, but he 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 says there that. If you if you read it further and we'll read it a little later but they didn't just stay in the upper room a lot of times we get this concept that they they just they just hunkered down in that upper room and it was like we're not moving. Luke says that they were in the temple daily worshiping and praising God. So how does that how does that relate to what we're talking about here? The first thing that they they had and see when the disciples, and when God told, and Jesus told them to go and wait, in Luke, the, the, they used the word terry. Luke used the word terry in, in, in the gospel, whereas here he just says wait. But he was, he was told them, go and wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Now, a lot of times, we, I, at least me, would get this vision of them, you know, in the upper room, just you know, pounding, pounding on the floor, just you know. But you know what? They weren't praying for the Holy Spirit to come. You got to get. The, you got to understand this. They were not praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Remember, these guys, these guys had just spent forty days with a man that they had watched be crucified. The first time they see it, saw him, he walked through a wall into their presence. Not ten days before this, they had watched him, visibly watched him ascend into heaven. I mean, they, they saw this with their own eyes. And so Jesus said, I'm bringing you the promise of the Father. I would reckon that after all that they had seen, they probably realized, well, if he says it's coming, it's coming. And so they, they, weren't, they weren't there praying and pounding on the Holy Spirit to come. You know what? They knew he was coming. They understood he was coming. That 10 days from the, day, from the time Jesus ascended till the day of Pentecost, they were preparing themselves to receive what had already been promised. They were that time was spent preparing, and if you look at that word "wait" and even the word "tarry," the word "wait" means uh, it's, it's from the Greek word parameno, which is from two different words, but it means to remain. It means to wait around, to stay in one place, and anticipate or expect something. So they weren't just waiting. They were expecting. They were they were in anticipation of what Jesus had promised that was going to come. They were anticipating it. There wasn't no doubt in their mind. They were waiting for it. And they were preparing themselves to receive it. It also means, and like this, it says, the thought of patience is predominant in, in this word. It conveys the sense of to wait for or to expect an upcoming event. In this case, the coming of the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the classic Greek, it meant to expect, as to look for as likely to occur or appear, to look forward to, to anticipate. In good old plain English, get ready for what's coming. Get ready for what's coming. Now, you've got to think about this in, in, in relationship to what we're, we're expecting in this day. We've heard prophetic word after prophetic word after prophetic word after prophetic word go on down the line that the move of God is coming, the great awakening. We're, we're, we're in the beginning stages of the, great, the third great awakening, and I believe that. I believe that we're in the beginning stages of the, of the, first, of the third great awakening. And I've, I've heard guys, I've heard people say that the harvest is, it could be up to a billion people. Up to a billion people. B billion people or more that are going to come to the Lord in, in this great awakening. Man, if that don't excite you, holy moly. In other words, get ready for what's coming. The word prepare means to establish, to fix. Or to apply. It conveys the idea of a deliberate effort over a prolonged period of time. A deliberate effort over a long period of time. Your heart cannot receive truth unless it has been prepared to receive truth. Your heart cannot receive truth unless it is prepared to receive truth. Your heart cannot, and your spirit cannot, take an infilling and an infusion of the Spirit of God unless your heart is prepared to receive it. You have to be prepared to receive it. What if Jesus would have said to, to the disciples, okay, ten days for now, The day of Pentecost. I'm going to come and the Holy Spirit's going to come on the day of Pentecost. What do you suppose their mindset would have been? Y'all think it would have been just a little different than what it was? Could be that they would have just went about their whole routine until a day or two like we do, until a day or two before the outpouring, and then decided to get ready. But you got to remember, they did, had no idea what this was going to be. They had no idea what it was going to look like. They had no idea what was coming. So they had to stay in a state of preparedness and readiness. You know, in, 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 in Jewish tradition, when, when a bride, a, a, a man and a woman get married, they get betrothed, the bridegroom goes away to his father's house, and he prepares their dwelling place. The bride stays where she's at. And she has no idea when the bridegroom was... Shoot, the bridegroom doesn't even know. You know who makes the determination? The father. He watches what the bridegroom is doing. He watches the building of of the dwelling place. And when the father decides it's ready... Then he tells his son, all right, go get your bride. So the bride, she has no clue when, she, when, when, when the bridegroom's coming. She has to stay in a constant state of readiness and preparedness. She has to. She has to have the mindset, well, today's the day. Today's the day the bride, my, my, my groom's coming. So I got to be ready. So she goes through and she makes sure everything's ready. She's packed. She makes sure everything's where it's supposed to be and how it's supposed to be. She is ready because she is not going to be taken by surprise and have somebody say, hey, your bridegroom's coming, and here she's rushing around like we do in the spirit a lot of times. She is in a constant state of readiness. You and I, if we're going to receive and have that infusion of power in our life, we have to live in a constant state of readiness to receive because we have no idea when God's going to come and he's going to pop that and and pour that spirit into us and we're going to get that infusion of power or we're going to need that infusion of power. So we have to live in a state of readiness. David said in Psalm 57, My heart is fixed on you, O God. My heart is fixed on you. That word fixed means to be firmly in position, stationary, not subject to change or variation, constant, firmly held in the mind, a fixed notion. One of the keys to preparing our hearts is to fix our hearts on what we will and will not do before we encounter the situation. We got to already know in our hearts, we already got to know in our spirits what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. That's why it's so important uh, for me, anyway, when I start my day. I make a declaration today. I'm not living by my flesh today. I will not. My flesh will not ruin my speech. It will not ruin my thoughts. It will not ruin my actions, my reactions. It will not have any root. Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. You will be the one who governs what I say today. You'll be the one who governs what comes through this head today and what stays here. You'll be the one who governs how I react to people and the things that I do. You will be the one who uh, just governs me today. You'll be the one. You'll be the one who governs my emotions. My flesh isn't going to do it, and so we have to. We have to have that. To, we have to have an understanding, and we, and we can. You can know. You can, you can absolutely make the determination before something ever happens how you're going to react in that situation, whether you're going to act in fear or you're going to act in faith, whether you're going to act out of the peace of God in your heart or the chaos in the world. You make that determination. You can make that determination before you ever know what's happen, going to happen. I like what, um, if I go back, oh, I know what I was going to say. Uh, tarion, and I don't want to take too long with this, but old school thought of is just, come on. You know, we used to talk in in in, in <laughs> old school, like I'm some young guy, huh? <laughs> but I can remember when pre- preachers would talk about tarion And they gave this, you got this mindset, this mental picture of just banging on the door of heaven, pounding on the door of heaven, trying to get God to open the door and pour it out. That's not what tarrying is. Last time I read in here, we weren't the ones doing the knocking. What did Jesus say? I'm the one standing at the door knocking. I'm the one waiting for you to let me in, not the one... You don't have to wait for, you're not supposed to be waiting for me to open it for you. And so the idea of tarrying is that we come to God, and when we come, we're not begging. You cannot, and tarrying is not a form of manipulation. You're not manipulating God. You're not trying to coerce God into doing anything through tarrying. If that's your idea, you need to recheck. You need to understand what tarrying is. Tarrying is coming to God with anticipation. It's coming to God with a sense of of expectation in your heart. You already know what God's put in your heart. You already know, when I came, when I was up praying this morning, I told the Lord, and I was praying for service this morning, I said, Father, I already see in my spirit. I already see it in here. I've already gotten the mental picture of what you're going to do and what you want to do this morning. So when I was tarrying, I wasn't coercing God. I wasn't trying to manipulate God. I wasn't begging God. I was coming with a spirit of anticipating and expectation. That's what the disciples, that's what these 120 people were doing. They weren't trying to beg God and coerce God to to pour out the Holy Spirit. They were anticipating. And they were expecting God to do what he said he would do. It wasn't like, well, I hope it's today. I, gee, I hope he does. No, they knew, they, they came with that expectation this is the day. God's going to do it today. They came with that anticipation. Terrying has, I, I get this idea and this picture in my mind of remember when you were a kid and your, your folks told you we're going somewhere? We're gonna go do some. We're going to Disneyland. We're going, you know, here or there. Man, when you were a kid, that's all you could think about, right? And you, you, you played it over in your mind what this was going to look like. I shoot, I've done that when I was an adult. I remember when when I went to Haiti. Man, for months before that, I already picture. I had I I kind of had this anticipation and. Uh, Trying to realize, think about what is, what's it going to be like? Is it going to be like this or is it going to be like this? Or is, maybe it's going to be like this. See, that's, that's what we have to have when we, when we come and we're waiting for God and we're tarrying. It's, it's that kind of an atmosphere in our heart that we're saying, man, I wonder what this is going to look like. I wonder what this is going to be. Is it going to look like this? Is God going to do this or is God going to do this? Or maybe it's going to look like this or, or you know what? That's anticipation. That's expectation, and that's what we have to come with. We have to have an expectant heart. That's part of, that's, when you're preparing your heart, that's what you're doing. You're expecting. You're believing. You're anticipating. And so that's what the disciples were, were, that was the mindset of these 120 people. So go on and, and, and. One of my commentaries said this, there are two aspects to preparation of the heart. The first is the preparation that God does. The second is the preparation that we do. So there's two aspects of preparation. There's the preparation that God has done and the preparation that he's waiting for us to do. Preparation of the heart, it's an ongoing, this isn't just a a temporary fix here. This is an ongoing process. You're constantly preparing your heart for what God's doing and what God wants to do. It involves holding our heart out before the Lord with an attitude of desiring to please him in all areas of our life. It also involves accepting the inevitability of change in our lives. I want you to get that. Preparing your heart is not just saying, oh, God, here I am. Oh, God, change me. But it's also living with the inevitability that when you ask God to change you, he is going to change you. And you are going to face things that will, oh, man, I went through this this week. Oh, I went down to get meat with about half a beef. And uh, I had to go to Buffalo, Wyoming to get it. So I went Monday. I'll, I'll tell you I And, you know, but when you're preparing, and you're asking God to prepare your heart, you better be ready for the inevitability that he's going to do that. And he's going to bring you into places where you have to change. So I get down there, and I'm paying for it. And it's like 200 bucks more than what I thought it was going to be. So I called the bookkeeper, And I tell her. uh, I grouped up. And, of course, she said, it's okay. We got it. But, man, I I was so ticked. I was ticked with myself. And I'm I'm driving back, and I'm asking the Lord, why in the world do I do things like this? Why in the world does it always seem, and the Lord told me this. He said, he said, it's because you don't listen. I said, what? He said, exactly. <laughs> I rest my case. But he told me this. He said, I got to remember exactly what he said this to him." But he said, and, and. Uh, night of worship, I got prayed for my hearing because I have ringing from all the years of power tools. I have ringing in my ears so bad. And, and this is actually what the Lord told me. He says the reason you have so much trouble hearing in the physical, he said the reason he said the reason that you don't, you have more difficulty hearing in the spiritual is because you have difficulty hearing in the natural. And I was like, What are you talking about? And he said, if you would be more of a listener, he said, you're one of these guys that when you come up against something, you don't think you need any help. You think I can figure this out on my own. And when somebody gives you some direction, you're like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I'm good. This is how I'm good, you know. And you don't, he said, you don't listen. And then then he hit me right between the eyes. He said, you got kids and grandkids that are the same way. And Holy Spirit told me, he said, I've heard you say time and time again, I don't know where they got it. (laughs) And he very pointedly told me, they got it from you. They've watched your example. He said, you want to hear clearer in the spirit then listen more in the natural. Listen to people. Hear what they're saying. If they gave you advice, it doesn't mean they don't think you know what you're doing. I know none of you are thinking. I know none of you are this way. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Yes. But anyway, uh, if you ask God to, 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 to you better be Ready? If you don't want God to do it, don't ask him. Because if you ask him and you're sincere, he's going to work. And he's going to, and you better anticipate changing. I'll leave that there. So anyway, important part, you got to make, important part of the preparation of the heart is to make room in your heart for the Holy Spirit to fill. I'm going to say that again. An important part of preparation of the heart is to make room in our heart for the Holy Spirit to fill. If all the rooms in your heart are already filled with stuff, whatever this stuff may be, there's no room for him. And so when God starts working on areas in our life and he starts removing things from our life, it's so that his spirit can take vacancy and can take possession of that part of our life and that part of our heart. Jeremiah 24-7 says this, or I'm ahead of myself. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep going. You have to prepare your heart through repentance. Oh, there's the word, the R word. You have to prepare your heart through repentance. You have to be ready to repent. And when God, like, just like when God spoke to me Monday, I had to say, Father, I'm I'm sorry. Help me. Help me to change. Clear my ears out so that I can hear better. So that I can hear you better. Jeremiah 24-7 says, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. The Hebrew word for return there is the Hebrew word shavu, which is a form of the word repent. It's a form of the word repent. So what he's saying here is they're going to repent to me with their whole heart when they come back to me. So repentance has to be a big part of it. Now, some of this I know, you guys, you guys know this, so I'm, I'm just kind of shooting down there to you. Preparation through pruning. And I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. At the core, man's heart is alien to God's nature. At the core, man's nature is alien to God. What does Jeremiah say? that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's deceitful. Who can know it? But there's an ongoing process that involves dying daily to the old heart and spirit and embracing the new. It's an everyday process. Every day you're going through this, or you should be going through this. And you can tell which heart you're operating out of by what comes out of your mouth. I'm going to say that again. I'll try, I'll try these guys over here. You can tell which heart you're operating out of because what comes out of your mouth So you have to have that, you have to. I love this. Is uh, the guy's name is Eton Shishkov. He's a, a leader in the messianic Jewish uh movement. He said, if I function out of my head, I will impact thinking. But if I function out of my spirit, I will impact destiny. Oh, that's good. If I if I if I function out of here then all I'll impact is this. But if I function out of my spirit, I can change destiny. I can walk in destiny. I can make a a move into the destiny that God has for me because I'm not moving by intellect. I'm moving by spirit. Preparation through praise. Praise prepares the heart to receive what God wants to give. It paves the way for the Holy Spirit power to work in us, manifest it through us. You guys know this. You prepare yourself through worship. You prepare yourself. That's why we, Joy, and, and, and the rest of these guys do what they do. It's a time of preparation. It's to prepare us to receive the word of God. It's to prepare our hearts for what God wants to bring down. And it's to prepare our spirits to receive what is spirit. Okay? Preparation through faith. The disciples had faith in the promises of Christ. They would not have returned to Jerusalem if they didn't believe what God had said. They were most likely. You know, I bet in their natural. They just wanted to go back fishing. They just wanted to go back to what they were doing. But they had faith in what God had said, and they were moving in that faith. So they did what Jesus said to do. They would not have waited for the outpouring of the spirits that they had not had faith in the promises of God. They had received the promise that the Holy Spirit was coming to empower them. And their job was to live like he was already there. I'm going to say that, I, I want to say that again. They heard what God had said. Now their job, their, their responsibility was to live as the Holy Spirit had already come. They were taken this by faith. They they received the promise. They were to live, to pray, to interact with each other, with the belief that it could happen at any moment. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we lived like this? Can you imagine what God would do in us if we lived like this? For we were in anticipation that any moment God could do something was going to do something. Wow, 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 what an effect we would have. Anticipate and expect. Dream about it. Imagine it. See it in your spirit and talk about it as though it has already manifested. Sometimes we get this idea that if we just say it, that's an important, that's a vital part of it. But you've you got to see it in here too. You've got to see it in your spirit. You've got to see it as already accomplished. You've got to see the, that manifestation of the power has already taken place. And you are living in a state of readiness to dispense it. Anticipate. I love this. Dream about it. Dream about it. Dream about what the move of God is going to look like. Dream about It's okay. You can do that. Imagine. Imagine what is, God gave you an imagination. He gave it to you to use. Imagine what it's going to look like. Imagine what it's going to be like. See it in here. See it in here like it already exists. So we prepare our hearts. I got to hurry. Oh, Lord Jesus. And one thing that I think we, we a lot of times we, we, when we talk about preparation that we don't talk about is you don't just prepare your heart, but you prepare your atmosphere. You prepare your atmosphere to receive. It's important to understand atmospheres and your ability to change them because Jesus has authorized and empowered you to do so. You control your atmosphere. There are two atmospheres, the natural, the one controlled by your physical senses, and the spiritual atmosphere, the one controlled by your spiritual senses. You impact your spirit by the atmosphere you choose to live in. You impact your spirit by the atmosphere that you choose to live in. I love this. Another place, another commentary said this. Christians are not to be spiritual thermometers, but spiritual thermostats. In other words, you are not merely to detect the spiritual climate as a thermometer detects the existing temperature in a room. You are to change it, imposing the kingdom of God wherever you go. That means when you walk into a room, the atmosphere in that room should change because you're coming in and through the spirit, you're imposing the kingdom of God in that room. That's why great men of God did the things they were, they were, they were able to do. They imposed, they imposed the kingdom of God. It didn't matter what pe- other people thought. They were in such a place of power that they imposed the will of God over the kingdom of the enemy. I'm not going to get through all this. I like what Jensen Franklin said here. He said, Holy Spirit responds to atmosphere. He is everywhere everywhere. But he does not manifest his presence equally everywhere. God manifests his presence when the atmosphere is right. He loves a celebration. He loves the atmosphere of praise and of true worship from his people. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. The word inhabit means he is enthroned or feels comfortable enough to sit down in the place where the atmosphere is filled with celebration, praise, worship, and faith. When you feel the atmosphere with complaining, fault-finding, murmuring, fear, and unbelieving, it's not, inviting the pres- it's not inviting to the presence of God. It has quite the opposite effect. <laughs> and people, and, and, you know, they'll talk about and, and they'll confess things in faith. But yet you'll see some of these people outside, and they are some of the whiniest, complainingest people that you have ever met. They are creating that atmosphere. They can confess faith and they can confess that God, but if their whole atmosphere is not permeated with that faith, if they're complaining and whining about everything. And again, I know none of you guys do this, so we're just we're just this is all theoretical here. (laughs) Then you're not you're not creating a complete atmosphere. To receive. Because the two cannot coexist. They do not. Got to hurry. That's all I'll say on that. You got to have the right atmosphere. You got to prepare the atmosphere. You got to keep your atmosphere in a a, a state of faith. I'm going to skip. I was going to talk about being in one accord with each other. All I'll say about this is real quick. You had 120 people in this room. Obviously, if you've ever been in a room with that many people, not everybody agrees on everything. They don't. But they were in one accord in their goal. They were in one spirit in their goal. They may not have all seen it looking the same way. They may not, I'm, I'm sure they didn't all think it was going to be like this or like this. But they had one goal, and that was that Holy Spirit's coming. And we're going to get ourselves ready to receive doesn't mean that they agreed on everything. doesn't mean when we're gathered together that we're going to agree on everything, but we will have one goal in mind, and we will work toward one goal, and we will have a, a, a oneness of purpose, and that is this. We will have the power of God. We will have the Spirit of God manifested in this place. We will have signs and wonders manifested in this place. We will see souls saved in this place, and that's, we can be, we can agree on that, and we can put all this other junk aside and put it behind us and say, this is our goal. That's how the disciples did it. That's how these 120 people, that was their accord. Last, and I got, I got just a couple of minutes. I got to get through this quick. They were not just in one accord with each other, but they were in one accord with, with the mind of Christ and with the spirit. Joshua Mills, in his book that we're studying, Power, power Portal, says this. He calls it sinking with the spirit. The first time Miss Leanne was here, she brought a... She put a scripture out, and she spoke a scripture that has not left me. John 14, 17. You know him. You know him, the Holy Spirit. Sync means to be in harmony or accord. It's to represent or arrange to indicate coexistence. When we are synchronizing with the Spirit, we trust his leading. If you learn how to synchronize with the Spirit... Not only will we hear God's voice, but we will be given guidance as to the way to carry out his instructions. Ryan this—Ryan and I were talking about this yesterday with something God's dealing with his heart about us doing. And we're talking about syncing with the spirit. He's got to get synced up with the spirit so that spirit cannot just show him, Ryan, I want you to do this. But he can say, Ryan, here's how I want you to do it. That's important. That's, that's vital to this. We have to be in sync with the Spirit. Spiritual truths should change the way we act, think, and interact with the world around us. In this way, physical changes can be produced through the spiritual truths we have received. When we're in sync with the Spirit, what we've received in the Spirit will produce physical results. I'm going to close. This is it, last one. In other words, when we sink with the Spirit, what we have received in the Spirit will manifest itself in the natural. When we're in sync with the Spirit, what we have received in the Spirit will naturally manifest in the natural. So that's how you prepare. That's how we get prepared. So start this week. Get your heart ready. Get ready. See it. See it is already done. See it in the Spirit is already completed. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.